As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Welcome to The Times. To find out more, head to thetimes.co.uk. Every goal, every game, everywhere. The Times and the Sunday Times. Now with goals. I'm Gabriel Marcotti, and I am joined by the fabulous Alison Rudd, the ravishing Clive Petty, and Rory Smith. Coming up, we'll be talking English strikers, Chelsea Newcastle, and the usual quick hits. But first, let's head to Old Trafford. Tadic, the substitute. Oh, here's Pella who's through. It breaks for Tadic, and Southampton have the lead. And the player who forgot to take his jersey to the subs bench rips it off again in celebration. All right, Manchester United in Southampton. Rory, I'll start with you. Louis van Gaal came out and said when they last played Southampton at St. Mary's, they were lucky to win. You recall that. That was the, uh, was it the 2-1 or 2-0 win, in which they had two shots on target. But this time, it was Southampton who were lucky, even though United didn't actually have a shot on target. Uh, is it true or should we really not be paying attention to things like shots on target? Shots on target aren't the be-all and end-all, are they? They're not the, the only way of... They're not, it's not a bad gauge of how well a team's played, but it's not the only way of, of, of judging it. I thought it was, it was a game that probably either team could have won or could have been a draw, and Southampton won it. So in, in that sense, you can maybe see what Van Gaal means, that it wasn't like United were comprehensively outplayed. But at the same time, Southampton are really well organised, they're really well set up, they know exactly what they're doing. And they snuffed United out, so I think it's harsh to call them lucky. I thought it was very tight, um, not much happened. When you look at this, depending on your viewpoint, it's a tactical masterclass or it's a, it's a boring game. Which was it for you? Oh, I thought it was absorbing. I wasn't bored at all. It, I agree with Rory. It could, could quite, you know, if Matter had, had his shooting boots on, we would have been talking about a, another lucky United win, perhaps. But what I l- enjoyed most about it was I couldn't really find any flaws in Southampton. Player to player, I just thought they were man for man, just doing exactly what they were supposed to do. And I know um, most of the commentators picked up on that as well, but it was true. And often you can't see it on the telly. It's usually only when you're there. You can see where people are moving. But even on TV, you could tell that everyone was confident and executing a plan. And there was a sense of... um, I actually did feel Southampton would win it, not because they were getting more shots on target, because they weren't. It was more that there was an inner confidence there. Well, let's talk about that a little bit, because I, I find it interesting, and we'll talk about United later, I guess, but a lot of times we praise teams that go and sort of, um, you know, have the settled lineup that sort of impose their way of playing on the opposition. Koeman, who's coming in with, with a certain type of reputation, in this match went out there and had a very specific way of, of stopping United. And it's not just, I mean, they made a big deal on TV about Ward Prowse on, uh, on Carrick. But also, he brings in Algero Elia, who, I'll show my own biases here, I don't think is a good footballer at all. But what he does do is he's very fast and he runs. And you've got him running for X amount of minutes. And then you chuck on Tadic. And it's all very sort of, it struck me as sort of being very, very sort of bespoke in, in what he was doing. And I didn't think Van Howe really had an answer to that. No, not really. I mean, they, they, they kind of were ready to take the game to May 9th. You know, as you say, there was, uh, pace was quite important. You know, Klein got forward a lot. I, mean, I think the, the 
took advantage of the fact that that rather unsettled defence that United have once again, I mean, you know, Smalling and Jones just looked completely inadequate once again, really. And did they, was it was it kind of three at the back again, which he keeps seems to be persisting with this, but if he is, he's going to have to try and find some other centre-backs. Uh, and perhaps that was, I'll bow to your knowledge of Eli, but as you say, he was quick, Klein got forward right from the first few minutes, Klein got forward and, and exposed that too, and that's, that seemed to be the, what worked for them, really. All right, is this where we sort of inject some humour into the podcast programme by explaining Elia's first name? His mum was a big fan of, I'm, I'm, I will mispronounce the surname, the soul singer Al Jarro. Al Jarro. Al Jarro. Uh, but couldn't spell it, uh, so called him El Jarro, I guess El Jarro. Now, that's the story. <laughs> that's the story. The only thing which gets me about that is, wasn't Algero around in the, like a long, long time ago? As you can which makes me tell. think, how old is, must his mum be? I've already exhausted my knowledge of this subject. Algero's timeless. No, but seriously, when was Algero performing? I don't know. He's most famous for doing the theme to Moonlighting, isn't he? So how long was that? Um, Moonlighting was in the 80s, like. Well, there you when go. you were in, at your peak. When I was... When <laughs> I was <laughs> All right, I'm not no. going any further than that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, is it true that you were the inspiration for the Bruce Willis character? That's me, yeah. <laughs> right, that, yeah. that, no, I think that's what I'd heard. The thing that I think is quite interesting about Southampton is they're not... Like, last season, everyone loved them, including myself, because of the way that Pochettino played football. They had all these young players. They, they were exciting. They were kind of daredevil. They, they kind of stuck to their principles. They were really sort of fundamentalist and all that. And this season, they're not like that at all. They're really pragmatic. They're quite practical. They're, they're not... They're not a pretty team. They're not an ugly team at all, but they're not, they're not pretty to watch. They're just kind of effective. The team that they resemble most of all is probably Chelsea. They're pretty sometimes, and that's the point, I think, Rory, is that when they can be pretty, they will well, be. But and when, they, say, when it's not what's needed, they're not. They're a more kind of mature, pragmatic side, maybe, now. Also, you say they're not pretty, but I, I can't pretend that Pelé's a very, very handsome man, and as we oh, saw just in yeah. He's what got a the body. body. I know, exactly. exactly. But Koeman's instructions and to his, his bo- team Ronald is... Ronald Koeman's body as well, good lord. The mighty Ronald Koeman. <laughs> he usually instructs his team to go out and win, but let's win beautifully. And Pochettino never did that. What did he tell them to do? Well, it was, it was, it was more, let's do it efficiently. I don't think the watchword was beauty under Pochettino. I think that Pochettino, I Pochettino had a principle that he wanted to play to, which was that kind of asphyxiating pressing football. Yeah. Power. Whereas Koeman, I think, is, and I don't mean this as a criticism whatsoever, Koeman looks at games individually and thinks, right, this is how we win this one. It's just there was a, an interview with Alder Vireld recently where he was comparing um, Simeone's management with Koeman. And the most telling element of it was that Alder Vireld said that um, Koeman asks them to go out and play beautiful football. So whilst, yes, he's quite capable of playing pragmatic football, I think it would be wrong to suggest that uh, that's all he's giving them. I did not there's suggest lot, that. There's a lot that's very attractive about Southampton. I'm going to get in trouble get away with, with it? Southampton's militant win of fans. I did not suggest that they, they were not playing attractive football. I said that their, their primary aim is not to be attractive, it is to win. This, this, this Dusan Tadic thing seemed to like fascinate everybody, that he didn't have his shirt ready and whatever, and he was time-wasting. I didn't find it so humorous. Did you, Clive? Did anybody? Does anybody want to talk about it? No. Well, humorous in... Well, he couldn't find his shirt. He couldn't find his shirt. He didn't have his shin pads uh, and... Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's either unprofessional or a, a tactic that says, oh, just hang around a minute, you know, because <laughs> we're getting a point here. But past that, it's just a bit of a tee-hee. Let's move on. Isn't that... Good, because yeah, because I didn't want to talk about it, but it seemed very, very important. <laughs> um, I also don't think we need to talk about his sculpted body any longer. But uh, turning to United, 
Falcao was left out. And now here's the interesting thing, and I might give away an industry secret here. When a player is left out, um, and he's, it's either because he's injured or unwell or whatever, in which case the club makes it a point to tell you, or otherwise, if it's a manager's decision, there's something more, slightly more sinister there, the club will generally will either pretend that he's injured, although then you run the risk of angering the player who might leak the truth. The point is, here we have a situation where Falcao does not start, and somehow somebody, whether it's Falcao's people, I don't think it's the media making this up, makes it a point to turn this into an issue. And Fanhao, to his credit, rather than lying about it, simply says, he says, Falcao isn't injured, he was just not selected in the squad. He says, I didn't have time to discuss it because it was after the training session. And then we go away with the bus because I decided after last training session to admit him. I think we'll talk tomorrow. Anybody want to wildly speculate? Anybody have any intel on this? I don't have any intel on, on anything, but I think, I, I think the fact that he didn't start is, is probably fine. Does he start the, the last five games? And to be honest, he's not played that well. I know that in the sort of current climate, the, the, his assist for Rooney against Newcastle was hailed on Twitter as the greatest piece of steel ever, and then you don't watch it on the highlights, and you think, well, it's all right. He has scored it, twice in those He's been all right, games. but he's not been amazing. I, I personally would have dropped Van, Van Persie before I'd, I'd dropped Falcao. But anyway, I think the fact that he didn't, he didn't start, he'd have got, got away with. The fact that he wasn't on the bench... It's, it's really hard not to think that Van Gaal has kind of thought, right, I don't really fancy you, to be perfectly honest. Why, why on earth? You've got three central defenders, a teenager on the bench. Surely, just, as, as, just logically for, from a manager's point of view, you put the, the massive sign-in on the bench just to avert this problem, don't you? Especially if your other alternative is Wilson, who's completely kind of still you know, well, yeah. untried and whatever it is. You know, to, to have that kind of preference is bound to cause... Yeah. A few question marks and a few raised eyebrows, isn't it? I mean, I don't. Maybe you're right. What is he trying to say there? I mean, Wilson may well be promising, but Wilson Falcao, the investment you've made in this guy already, um, or both of them. I mean, I, I get that he needed defensive cover on the bench, just that he had a lot of yeah, players who weren't fully fit. Time, but, yeah, yeah. But at the same time, just it's Falcao. You surely put him. If 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 you're not putting him on the bench, it does hint that there is something else slightly different going on. I think that's probably fair. But there is some logic in the bench in that he is, said I. I mean, he's, he's almost too honest sometimes, Van Hal, isn't he? He said, I knew I'd need to make defensive changes, and that's where my headache was going to be. So that's I'm why sorting out defence. So I wasn't interested mm. in having someone amazing coming off the bench and attack because I had that sorted anyway. How did he, he have just, that he was sorted? Just thinking, he was just thinking about... Well, he had so many attackers on the pitch. I mean, he has so many defenders. I mean, but, I mean, you start with three central defenders, and then on top of that, on the bench, you have Evans and McNair and Blackett. Which means he doesn't believe well, I don't in his think, defense. Perhaps he doesn't believe that, that just in case none of those have been had a fitness uh-huh. record to die for this season, just in case yeah. one or one of them breaks way. down. If football were a normal business and I was the guy paying the club to go and, and spend my money on football, I would be going to see Woodward and Van Hal and I would be saying, gentlemen, we are paying this guy an absolutely absurd amount of money. And I know there's figures the club put out and we don't know how much of his wages are being paid by Monaco or whatever, but you've spent a huge amount of money to take him on loan. You spent, you're spending a huge amount of money to, uh, um, to, to, to basically pay his weekly wages and uh, for his kid's inheritance. He doesn't make it onto the bench. In fact, you go and you play Angel Di Maria as a striker, effectively, in that game while playing Wayne Rooney in midfield, which is a whole other issue, you would want answers for it. And so this kind of leads me to believe, I mean, even in the insane world of football, 
there are certain basic things. This leads me to believe that it's likely that there must be another reason why he didn't start, that something must have happened. I can buy the logic that he wanted pace on the bench. I can buy that. And I buy the thing about needing defensive cover. But it, it, it is still completely baffling not to have Falcao included in that matchday squad. It, is, it makes no sense, unless it is Van Gaal saying, sort of, sut- not subtly, but kind of seeming to say discreetly, that he doesn't particularly fancy Falcao. And wouldn't, isn't Van Gaal the sort of bloke who would say, I don't choose my bench based on how much players cost? I'm sure he would, yeah. Well, you... Which is you, what you're saying, Gab, in effect, isn't no, it? No, but you should, because you signed Falcao. I mean, at some point, the buck stops with some... This is this is what generally... I mean, there's two things kind of I don't like about transfers and the way things are going. One is lack of accountability. It's a bit like Liverpool, right? Where, like, depending who you talk to, if yeah. it's a bad signing, it's Rodgers. If it's a good signing, it's Rodgers, not the transfer committee, all this crap. Here uh, at United, you have a situation where a club... Signs a guy. I mean, Van Gaal has certainly had a tremendous amount of say in who he brought in. If you're going to commit a huge amount of your funds into a player, we're not talking about an obscure player. We're talking about a a, a guy who everybody was familiar with, and Radamel Falcao. You expect there to be a plan behind it, and I'm convinced that Van Gaal, being an honest guy, he chose to sign Falcao, and there's a real reason now, and not just because I want somebody faster on the bench, why he's not playing but because otherwise it just simply doesn't add up unless of course Falcao was signed for different reasons no but Van Gaal um, must have must have sanctioned it he must have he, sanctioned he, he it. may have sanctioned it but you know he's also kind of like alright so to take Di Maria and blend in the guys I really want and maybe like I gotta put up with this dude here and you know he'll, he'll do more good than harm I, I, I mean I, I don't know what's the options at the end of this is it the end of this season they have to make at the end of the season, yeah, they have yeah, to make yeah. a decision, isn't it? I mean, there's, there's, there's also, because, again, there's no transparency in football, uh, so we don't know how much they paid for him. We don't know how much he how much he earns. We don't, because all these people, right? Because mm-hmm. I'm going to come out and say it. There's a bunch of murky dodgepots involved in football, and nobody... Is there? Yeah, there's a bunch <laughs> of two things. It's the murky dodgepots, and it's also the people that... They don't want us to know how much footballers cost and how much they make, because then you're going to get Rory's mates, the analytics nerds, going out there, and they're like, oh, look, you know, Sean Deitch spent spent X amount and he got Y production, and this other guy spent 50 times that and he got Z production. They don't want that, right? So this is why it's people's interest to keep muddying the waters and, and to keep transparency out of it. And, and I, I personally think it's absurd. There's also a wild rumor going around that if he plays X amount uh, of games this season, then the transfer becomes permanent. It triggers it, yeah. Mm. But of course, we don't know this! Speaking of serious issues, as somebody pointed out, Louis van Gaal, and in the endless comparisons with his predecessor, they have the same number of points, but they're fourth in the table, whereas Moyes was seventh in the table. I suppose you can read this and spin this any which way, right? Uh, It's a classic case where you can make both sides of the argument, once you throw in the amount of money that was spent, and, and whatever else. Clive, if you're Fan House, should you be happy? Or imagine you were a United fan. I know it skeeves you, but but try doing it for a second. Would you say, yes, we've gone forward? Well, judging from the performance yesterday, I'm not sure they've progressed that far. Are United a more attractive or better prospect of a team than they were under Moyes? I mean, the points thing, I think, just shows how much, just shows the difference between this season and last season and the, and the sort of mediocre standard of, of play and teams this season. So the, the actual place in the league doesn't really mean very much. Are they a better team to watch under Van Gaal? I think they've been well better to watch. It's yeah, better, they are it better is to better watch, to watch. Yeah. And also, but it's also the, like the intangibles have improved, haven't they? With United, like the 
the, the sense the around the club. Part, not that's what I mean. The in, it's the intangible stuff. It's things like morale, mm. apart from foul cows. Uh, it's things like kind of the, the sense that the club is going somewhere now has sort of returned. There is not a fear factor about them, but there is a kind of sense that they could be about to do something. All of that was missing, and I think that's that's to Van Gaal's great credit that he's he's managed to kind of do that. But there, there comes a point. Where, there comes a point where you kind of have to stop everything. Van Gaal does turns to gold. That kind of has to stop, and we have to analyse it properly and he's, say actually what's he he's doing. He's still very good at pushing that thing about you know the philosophy or where there's something we're aiming for, which you never quite got under. Well, you never got under Moyes actually. It was always a bit of you know. It was always his thing seemed to be we're Man United. It will come good yeah. just because they are Man United. At least Van Gaal. I'm not quite sure what this great philosophy still is you know, well, this that, thing. That, but, the issue, isn't it? The, but the point is he's very good at producing that point and he's so forceful and so such belief in himself that Moyes never really showed that we're all carried along with it and that's that's kind of what helps Man United at the moment isn't it well so the thing is that Van Gaal is clearly one of the best managers of the last 20 years I think you once referred to him as a warrior of the light Gab he's a mm-hmm. he's a he is without he question was. a great manager warrior of the light he's but still a great manager as of this moment I don't know what his philosophy at Manchester United is meant to be he keeps changing his system keeps changing his personnel the club's approach to it, to solving this problem, seems to be we're going to chuck loads of money at mm-hmm. it. And that doesn't actually tell you, if you start, as my friends, the analytics nerds would say, if you start throwing money at players, it becomes very hard to tell how good the manager is. Oscar, delightful touch. It's Diego Costa. And the Premier League's leading goal scorer does it again. 15 in the league this season. Right, moving on to Stamford Bridge, Chelsea and Newcastle. And I, I want to start with, with this just John Carver. All I heard for years is this guy's a brilliant coach, highly respected, blah, blah, blah. He says he wants to Who job. told you that? Yeah. What? Who are you? Who are you? Who are you referencing there? Just out of interest, he might well be. I'm just... John Carver's a brilliant and respected coach. Or Alan Shearer said so on television. No, well, oh, well, yeah. Alan Shearer's from Newcastle. Are any of you guys from Newcastle? No, so we're not allowed opinions. No. We need to get George on. What? Where's George? George is busy today. Here's what I don't understand. You're Mike Ashley. You've got this guy in-house who everybody seems to really like, and John Carver. You know he wants the job. Surely at that stage, you either say, hey, John, no, you're going to stay at coach because ultimately you're John Carver and I'm Mike Ashley, or you give him the job. But what you don't do is have this guy keep saying how much he wants the job without you committing to him. Can somebody explain Ashley's logic? What, you think it's unseemly and undignified and oh, I just think it's counter- Carver? No, it's counterproductive if you're Ashley. This is Mike Ashley we're talking about. He doesn't follow normal rules of engagement. And if he wants to take his time picking someone, then he will. He, I don't think he care particularly whether it's fair or unfair on John Carver, who's being paid a decent wage and is still doing the same job he was before, but with more responsibility briefly. And he's asked him, are you happy to do it on a match-by-match basis? And Carver has said, well, okay, but not for too long. And he said, well, well we will do it then. I don't think there's anything terribly unethical. Or I'm not suggesting it's on. unethical. I'm just saying it's counterproductive if you're trying to actually build a team that can go forward and whatever else. But, of course, that's the age-old issue. Well, is he, Newcastle is he, just, just stuck in some limbo where they're, they won't get, get into Europe and they're too good to go down. Well, that is kind of Ashley's thing, isn't it? That, 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 is, exactly that is exactly what, Ashley, what Ashley, wants. Ashley wants. I think he said at the weekend that he, he, he made the point of it becomes, as you say, a bit counterproductive if things drift, uh, which again was you take as a plug for. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. 
you know, give me the responsibility of it. But Ashley just thinks, as long as this guy's keen, they're not going to suddenly plummet and become relegation things. And at the same time, they're not in danger of actually winning anything either. And which time, you know, Ashley is probably looking further north and is concentrating on things Rangers-wise anyway. So until, if, as long as Newcastle just carries on, he's quite happy, isn't he? And then the summer comes along, Mr. Guard is available, or well, he's available now, but yeah, he wants to come in the summer, that's fine. And you make a decision about Carver then and then. But as you long s- as Newcastle just yeah. trundles along in, you know, in 10th. Well, the, o- the only blip in that is I, I don't think Carver wants to keep going and going and going. I mean, you know, there are lots of yeah. rumours in, in the northeast. You don't get a lot of hard information, but the, the feeling I'm getting is that Carver might keep going for another three weeks and then he'll go. He's not but prepared to just do it on. To just go, he doesn't have a mortgage, family to feed. No, he wants. Well, he, he he wants a, another job if he's not going to be. I think he would eventually see it as insulting not to be given it. But surely, surely, if, they gave, if they said, "Look, you take just an official kind of caretaker oh, yeah, that position," would be okay. then, that would so be what okay. he doesn't want well, he is doesn't uncertainty, want, which is fair yeah, enough. We ask the same question enough. after and yeah. before every match. Yeah. The oh. thing about Remy Dard, just touching on Remy Dard, that I think is really interesting. Right, so Leon atop. Mm-hmm. In France, as you write in your excellent column today, Gavin. I'm just going to check. Is that the question I meant to ask you? Later? No, I, I didn't. <laughs> no. I wrote it in my excellent column three weeks ago. Um, yeah, so Leon, they weren't top. Leon atop in France, and their manager is is Hubert Fournier, yeah. who was at Rams, 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 Rams in the summer, right? So Leon atop, Gard was there last season. They finished fifth. So is that as has been used in the kind of Remy Dard isn't he a great candidate coverage of of this story? Is that to Gard's credit that they've got this really young side that he helped bring through? Or was he underachieving with a team that could have been top in France? Well, you need to speak to people in France. I have, and what they said was that Fournier's common, but it's basically been a turnkey operation in the sense that a lot of these young players you know, were, were blooded last year, and it's kind of been a natural progression for them this season. A lot of people are giving the credit to Gard. There, there are other things with Gard that, you know, when the manager goes, sometimes he gets a little bit ba- bad mouthed by the club and whatever. So there are other issues with with guard, particularly in the handling of of Lacazette. I think ultimately he, he did a good job there. Whether, but but then again, it also becomes tricky because it's not like he was in the academy coaching exactly, these guys when exactly, they were fifteen years yeah. old and at the same time coaching the first team. Oh, he does me. Why did he leave anyway? What was the thing of guard leaving Leon? If they were, if this team was going to be on the was that a guard to Leon joke? It was very good. <laughs> it is now. I think it's some issues with uh, with with the club and Jean-Michel Alas and and his contract and, and the powers that he had and, and and things like that. I think it's a really interesting subject. It's really hard to know what makes a manager good, and it's the same with Tuman and Pochettino at Southampton. How much credit goes to one and the other? And with Gard, as you say, Gard didn't spot the kids. He didn't get Lacazette and all the all the all the other ones who've come through in a, the the sort of the tour of that team. He did coach them, he gave them his ch- their chance, so he kind of deserves some credit. But then they're doing a lot better now than they were without him. So yeah. it makes it really hard to know what, what constitutes a good manager, although all of that is irrelevant. But it's all Mike Ashley wants is someone to fit. And this is a, this yeah. is come from the people who are trying to find out who's interested in the Newcastle job. Well, well, actually, is someone to finish 10th and not complain when they sell players? That is, is Mike Ashley's job spec. Or is it irrelevant? Because actually what Ashley wants, he doesn't want a kind of manager is he actually does want a coach doesn't he because yeah. he wants Graham Carr to probably go and filter all these young players from, <laughs> from uh, who are coming through at Lynn Rose and get them over to Newcastle so perhaps it's in his interest actually what he wants is what you're kind of suggesting a coach who can work with players bring them up and then flog them off I see yeah. on to the game I, I thought Newcastle actually played really really well in the first half and 
okay, maybe it's not the first time this season, but I saw Nemanja Matic in the first 45 minutes being less than imperious as these little guys sort of, you know, Remy Cabela cutting in, little guys, Remy Cabela, big guys, uh, Musa Sissoko, sort of popping up all around him. Yeah, I'm not saying he, he's anything less than a great player, but I think it was the first game where he wasn't one of the best players on the pitch. That is spot on. But Thank it you. wasn't just... Matic, there were a lot of Chelsea players playing at 60% of their capacity for the first 40-odd minutes in that game. They were really sluggish. And I think it was just a convergence of factors that Cabela had had a talking to from Carver in front of the entire team, told, come on, we know you're brilliant, show it. He decided he would, as opposed to Sulk. Um, So he was um, feeling very jolly. And that, that seemed to spark the entire Newcastle team. What was it was weird because you, you go to um, Stamford Bridge and I think you go there with, with, with baggage. You, you know, you, you, a lot of teams look way down by the prospect of it just being a match you've got to get through without being humiliated. And Newcastle looked really devil may care. They just were full of, oh, let's express ourselves. They were all smiles. They were faster to every ball. They were inventive. Chelsea did very little, really. And it was only because... Um, the old reliables came through William who's never really like you said before he's not particularly technically gifted but he's incredibly consistent William quick thinking at a corner the whole game changes get, get a bollocking at half time from Mourinho and then it, then you had what you normally see in the first half of Stamford Bridge we then saw in the second half which is that they just exuded superiority and Newcastle well, they'd, they'd, they'd had their chance and they'd fluffed it and not scored hit the post that was it that's all they could do I'll come out and say this at the start of the season I was sceptical about having Matic on his own in front of, of the back four. Not on his own, but Matic and Sask in front of the back four. I thought, you know, it's still Mourinho. He'll want to have the two holding midfielders, some other dude in there with, uh, with Matic. But as it happened, we've only seen that a couple times this season when we've had Ramirez. I think it was, it was one game where they had Mikel. Generally, Matic has been so big and the, the front four have worked so hard and Sask has done his part that, that, that he got away with it. But it's just kind of a reminder that if you are going to have Matic there, um, and he's not going to do his Paul Bunyan routine, you need a front four that work harder and, and it can be physically stronger and more, more intense than they were in the first 45 minutes. Well, yeah, absolutely. But I, I, I personally, if my heart sinks if, if I see him playing Mikel in that role. I've never been a Mikel fan. I can't actually find anyone who can work out what he's for. But it, it generally, it's, it's, it's as if... if Mourinho picks Matic and Fabregas, which is which is an assertive lineup. That 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 gives the momentum to the rest of the team. They think, oh right, we're playing real football today. They go very negative when he picks Mikel instead of Fabregas in that role. It's like it just suddenly just just that one personnel change changes the whole way Chelsea look and play and feel. The whole feel about them is very conservative. So if you have Fabregas in that role, because I agree with you, he's not, he's not a destroyer. He still plays creatively, so it's all down to Matic. Usually it means that the rest of the team think, yeah, we're going for it. And they, and they have fun. They have a bit of fun. But if, if, if it doesn't work, then, you, then it's exposed, the fact that players like um, Oscar and Hazard don't, don't close down and don't pull their weight. I didn't even notice Hazard apart from one ball through to um, Oscar, really. Uh, there was one play late in, in, in the second half when um, somebody came through one-on-one with, with John Terry. And just absolute, Terry was just outside the box, and the guy absolutely just toasted Terry and then shot on goal. Do, do you remember? Just, it was Sissoko. Like, it was Sissoko, wasn't it? Was that the one where he hit the, did yeah, the, and he hit the post? post? 
Yeah. yeah, but Terry was showing him where he wanted. Terry was saying, "I want you to go out wide." Actually, that wasn't totally rubbish by Terry. He was pushing him out. We I, hit the I post. That that's not on target. As, as Graziano Pelé would tell you, that's not on target. Okay, great. All right. No, I was just surprised in that situation. Terry's outside the box. There are covering defenders. It seemed like I was so sure as that was unfolding. I'm like, "Uh oh, Terry in space. He's just going to absolutely just just pole axe him and take the card so he doesn't go through and shoot on goal." And very simple. But he didn't do that. So, so I thought I had a very good finish. Was that the difference? I mean, going back, not wishing to bring in the uh, Tottenham fans the result into this, but that's a kind of. <laughs> but that's that's two games with Chelsea defensively now. I think the difference we're talking about Chelsea and it's it's all fine is because Newcastle did have chances and they just didn't score. If they if if just supposing they had put those away, and the complexion of that game changes, I mean Chelsea haven't been defensively as tight a unit in the in the in recent weeks as everyone thinks they have, have they? I the mean, supremacy that they had up until kind of the start of December has just has just been knocked a little bit, yeah. Chelsea, hasn't it? They're not quite as domineering and dominant as they were for the first like, four months. But we weren't months. saying this when it was, what was it, 6-3 at Goodison? And they were... No, that's what I mean, though. There's a little... It's the, 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 their performances, they're still going to finish in the top two, it'll still, they'll probably still finish first, but their performances aren't quite as impeccable yeah. as they were No, but when the when they do let goals in, with the exception of the 5-3 at Tottenham, you you do feel they're more than capable of shifting up the gears and scoring more mm. than they're letting in. Mm. Clive, uh, the Tim Craw... Oh, well, just it's weird to see that to see stuff like that happening. What do you think he's thinking right now? What, what's he thinking? Yeah, right now on like, uh, like on Monday morning. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, well, I was wondering, like, well, does that stay with you? Well, I don't. No, I mean, these aren't we led to believe that being professional footballers, that mistakes you shrug it off and you come back the next, you know? But I think I think they normally say you you, you shrug off like technical mistakes. Well, you might not shrug off, but it'll. it'll think, think, you learn that when you're six years it, old, right? right? I mean, but everybody kind of switched off. It's like you know, there was no one covering that short corner in the first place. Least of all, you know, him. I mean, it's just unfortunate that there was a camera on that angle which absolutely captures him. <laughs> I, I mean, it was classic. You know, if the camera shots up the other end, but it's not quite the same. But everybody kind of switched off on that Newcastle thing. I mean, I think you have to give, was it William? Yeah, credit. credit yeah. A great deal of credit. That Look, we're in. Take it quickly. And Ivanovic. And, and no responded. point William yeah. taking a quick short corner unless there's someone else you know, thinking quickly too. Cruel is is the, the centrepiece and fall guy for a team that really did was not switched on for that. And I think you have to give Chelsea a lot And he, he'd for been that. out for eight games. I knew Cruel, maybe, you know, just feeling, yeah. just feeling his yeah. way back in. Very plausible. We've got to spend more time talking about this, and I did write down, how about Mourinho's conspiracy theories and him not showing up for the pregame press conference or whatever. But frankly, let's leave that for another time. Okay, time now for what surveys have scientifically revealed is the most popular part of the show. It's quick hits. Just to remind you, you have 20 seconds to answer. After 20 seconds, you will be hearing this sound effect. And after 25 seconds, you will be hearing this one. And after 30 seconds, I'll be shouting like a maniac over you, especially you, Allison. A win for Tony Pulis on his debut as West Brom topple whole city. Uh, there wasn't much of a display in Berahino, or Berahino, as some people who think he's Brazilian keep calling him. He's still surrounded by rumors, and of course, rumors have fast friends we call innuendos. Allison, how will this end? Okay, it's going to end with West Brom uh, finishing uh, mid-table. And, and in very little trouble because Tony Pulis is a genius. I don't know who's going to bid for Berahino while there's a drink driving charge hanging over him. That's a bit of a risk, isn't it? Um, but Tony Pulis is ready and uh, he's making darn sure if he loses Berahino, he will get a striker in. 
Alan Pardew wins on his debut, overcoming Spurs 2-1. It was a pretty turgid game. Clive, your thoughts on whether the wheels are once again going to come off for Pochettino's bandwagon, or you can talk about whether Pards, your, ba- your mate, is going to keep Palace up. My mate, that would be news to both of us. One step forward, another step back for Tottenham. They, they, they seem to lack a bit of energy uh, with the likes of Stambouli in there instead of Bentaleb that you know wasn't as 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 well just as energetic and quick as it had been say against Chelsea. Um, but I think they'll be okay. Pardew, yeah, he can keep them up. Uh, I think he needs a goal scorer. So not Glenn Murray then. No, a better goal scorer or get the or do what Pulis says and get the best out of the people he's got, which is what Pulis did with uh, say Shamak last season. Liverpool squeaked past Sunderland thanks to Lazar Markovic on a bitterly cold wearside lunchtime. And I refer you all to George Calkin's intro, who made it all about Super Mario Balotelli. Uh, is this baby steps for uh, Brendan? Uh, Liverpool have kind of they've, they've lost one in 12 or 13 now, which is remarkable because they're still playing quite badly. Uh, it must be the least impressive unbeaten run in the history of the Premier League. Uh, yeah, they're, de- they're getting there. I think that it's it's encouraging to see people like Martovic and Emre Chan starting to play moderately well. I suspect it will be next season that they develop this season. They should just target the Europa League and try and win that. Manchester City are held at Everton, but the cavalry is on the way in the form of Wilfried Boney. A smart signing at Twenty-eight million, or whatever the rumored number is. If it happens, of course, it goes to agree personal terms. Alison. Well, yeah, it's. I think he's worth the money. Actually, I think I think um, Wilfred is is a great player, and I think he, he's a good fit for City. Um, you know, Swansea play delicate, beautiful football, and there's a lot that's nuanced there. And so I think he will fit in with a lot of the beautiful nuances you see amongst the um, City players. So. Um, but he won't be back from the African Cup of Nations till February, so it's a bit weird. I think if you're eating Jekko, you might not be too happy right around now. Didn't ask me that, though, did you? No, I'm just adding it in. As for Everton, they show the usual wobbles, but then came together relatively nicely of late. Nice goal from Stephen Naismith. Is this the start of Roberto Martinez's bounce back? It may be, but I'm not quite sure how much of uh, Roberto Martinez is in it. It's not like it was uh, achieved through his nice, great passing style. It was more a... Uh, find Lukaku as quickly as possible and he did look uh, more like the old Lukaku was running at defences again and doing that powerful play so as long as Everton's players stop picking up stupid injuries and they uh, carry on uh, the way they're going in that game against Man City yeah possibly yeah by the way I thought Lukaku was helped by the fact that Mangala had one of his worst games um, in, a, in a City shirt from what I saw is he this year's Di Michaelis and this is going to come good at the end of the season once he settles it or is he just not a £32 million pound what do we think? He gets... I mean, I know Lukaku's young and strong and fast, but you know what? Well, so That's what Mangala's supposed, Mangala's to, be supposed to be. Yeah. He's there for that, not for his yeah. good looks. Yeah. Now, Arsenal pummels Stoke 3-0. Alexis Sanchez shines again. Uh, but Rory, tell me if you're okay with the punishment meted out to Wojciech Szczesny, who is smoking in the shower, of course, as we all know. Uh, and also whether he's getting his job back. Uh, I don't think he's going to get his job back immediately. Vendor was a bit enigmatic about that subject no. yesterday. Uh, I think Chesney has taken it very badly. I think he thought he thought he was going to play, um, and Ospina hasn't conceded a goal in two games. So yeah, I, I suspect Ospina's now in for the foreseeable. Um, the punishment, no. The moral indignation, no. This country's ridiculously puritanical about things that really don't matter, such as smoking, and should get over itself. 
the Chesney consoled himself for the fact that he was dropped. He did look like a man on the bench. He looked like a man who was trying to quit smoking. He really did. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Gab, one for you. It's been a turbulent week for Barcelona, and they got to face Atletico Madrid at the end of it. Uh, what is the situation? Uh, well, they won 3-1, and it was all about Messi, who uh, lined up uh, wide right rather than his customary central position. Messi, Neymar, and Suarez all scored. Messi, though, is very upset because the Catalan media reported that he had a meeting with the president to uh, uh, try to drive out Luis Enrique. Uh, he came out, he denied it vehemently, and he said, it hurts me so much because the last time there were rumors about me with his tax issues, it was all a big plot hatched in Madrid. This plot is in-house. Um, I think you need to watch this space, but it was really important, I think, for them to get the win. It's a huge win over a good team. You know, their, their front three guys uh, score, although they were a bit fortunate, too. And, you know, Messi did handle the ball, but then he's Argentine and therefore cheap, right? No. No. Any other business? Allison. Well, just that, I mean, by the time people listen to this, we might know um, the Ballon d'Or results, but... Um I do hope Stephanie Roche wins because it would just be such a beautiful story. And I met her in Dublin this week and she's, she's great. She's a proper footballer. None of this, oh, I'm a girl, so I don't, shouldn't be there or they're all better than me. She has faith in her ability and absolutely not shy at all at being asked to recreate the goal for a video for us. Which and she's done I it. think a lot of players would find that a bit nerve-wracking because you, you can't always recreate things you do on the spur of the moment that end up being beautiful in a match and she's just naturally gifted and confident but even if she hasn't won goal of the year do go and watch her recreation of it on the times website because it's lovely rory clive anything for us uh, i like the fact that liverpool have been linked with the fiorentina goalkeeper netto in the transfer window who is probably the only goalkeeper less reliable than seaman mignolet so i would really like that transfer to go through because it would be that rare that rarest of things would be a club signing a player who is worse than your your biggest problem i think he might actually be worse than simon mignolet's reserve too He's, he's appalling. He, he's he, terrible. He, he, I mean, he looks really good sometimes, but then when he looks bad, he looks incredibly bad. And, and that's a can't be worse than. Um, no, he's not Brad really Jones. worse than Brad Jones. Jeez. I'm joking. No, he, no, he's not far no. off. He's terrible. Yeah, yeah. Terrible. Uh, uh, so, if you haven't subscribed on iTunes and Player FM for Android, please do so now. Also, go on the website. Check out Stephanie Roach's goal. It's um, it's pretty cool. It's also funny from the reaction of the people. Uh, at pitch side, how they there's a couple of people who aren't even paying attention, which is uh, which is absolutely hilarious. Many many thanks to my guests today, Alison Rudd, Rory K. Smith, and Clive Petty. Now you can check out thetimes.co.uk on your digital device. And if you remember, you get exclusive football, rugby, and cricket highlights, and also Stephanie Roach highlights. At least for now, you can take our one pound digital trial today. Just search Times Sport online. Uh, next week, same time, same place. Bye-bye. Your subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times now comes with access to every Barclays Premier League goal. Refresh your app, choose your team, accept notification, and you're away. Thank you for downloading. To discover more, head to thetimes.co.uk. 